0: Alive? Can you hear me? No? Yep, got me? Right. <coughs> cool, thank you. Hmm. Debbie just came and shared a word that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can speak to mountains. See, there's... Kingdom life that is not of this world. And that's why it can speak to mountains. So, Lord, as we look in this area of the posture of true giving, which is about a life that is within us that overcomes all things, that there's no compartments anymore. It's all. We've been singing. It's all. You deserve it all. You are one God. And everything is in Christ. And as we come to hear what you are saying, we look at somebody that gave her all. Lord, I pray that, that we would have courage to step out of boundaries, step out of what we know, and step into what you have already given us inside. Thank you, Father, that you give us the courage to do what we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And you bring us into the reality of the life that is already there but maybe gets blocked out because we are still living through our own eyes and our own understanding that's based in the world. So Lord, I just commit this time, I pray, Father, that I would speak your words and they'd be words of the spirit because the words of the spirit are spirit and life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The all. When we're talking about giving, we've already heard from Greg last week about a little boy who gave it all. He gave his lunch. Seems a little thing, but it was a big thing for him. He didn't just give what he thought he wouldn't need. He gave it all. And there is something about this posture that includes giving. It is expressed through giving, but it's also expressed through everything of life. And it's the outworking of that you are worthy of it all. It's the outworking of the incense arise day and night. It's the outworking of our lives. Wow. So it's not just words. It's not just lip service. It's, it's not even a heart that's longing to do it, but it's the activation. It's the faith, the works that's one. It's not separated. God is not separated. He doesn't say and not do. And he wants us free. It's, it's for freedom that he freed us. And the freedom that he has for us is so beyond our understanding that we can't work it out in our heads. That's why he has to bring us into his sight for what it is. And ultimately, it's the sight of who he is opens this like you mean I can live like that yes 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 (laughs) so everything is about this knowing him loving God loving people The Bride of Christ reigning with Christ. Why? Because this is the whole reason that we are here. So all of this that I'm going to talk about, which is specifically about giving, it's about that. It's the outworking of that. It's the the oneness of that position. So it's not separated. And I love that he never separates anything. It's all just the one position. (laughs) So anyway, let's turn to um, Luke 21. We're going to look at a lovely lady. Not much written about here. I'm going to tell you a little bit what's been going on before that first. So in Luke, even a couple of chapters before, Jesus has been addressing a whole lot of stuff about money, and I'm not going to go into all of them. But you've got Zacchaeus. You've got him cleaning out the temple. You've got the parable of the miners, you know, the, the coins and what people did with them. You've got the parable of the, the um, vineyard tenants and them wanting to kill the heir. You've got the the it's stirring something up in some of these people, so you've got Pharisees and scribes and people. They're sending now an envoy to him to try and trick him, and they're sort of saying, "Oh, wonderful Master, you are so full of wisdom, and we perceive the truth coming out of you. But who do we pay taxes to? You know that." So everything has been stirred up. Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we get stirred up when there's money talked about. Isn't that funny? Hmm. But he doesn't leave it. He's, he's Because it's, it's not just about money. It's about a root of life. And so he's, he's speaking some other things. And he talks in... Um, the chapter before, right at the end, he's talking about. Um, see if I can read this. Oh, I will put the glasses on. <laughs> right, so he's talking about the to his disciples about the um, the scribes, right? Okay, the scribes or the Pharisees. This is interesting. Okay, we're going to have to go into NIV. Sorry, this has not loaded NASB. New equipment, I will work it out next time. Um, okay, so he says, Beware of the teachers of the law, of the, the scribes and Pharisees. They like to, f- to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue. They devour widows' houses... Interesting, and for a show, make lengthy praise prayers rather. These men will be punished most severely. And he said that just after he started initiated a conversation, and what he said was, "Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David?" And he starts to quote from Psalm one hundred and ten. So we're going to look at some of these things that are happening. I'm going to come back to that. But it's, what I want you to see is that this incident is not isolated. It's not just in there as this random thing that Jesus saw. It's actually come on the back of a whole lot of stuff. And when we, we go to the next chapter, which is our primary um, Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, He's he's in this place and he's been teaching. He looks up and he observes something. And so he says, "I'll I'll read it out." Sorry that my version's now not the same as yours. Um, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, or out of their surplus. Which is really the version that um, I'm used to reading. Out of their surplus, but she gave it out of her poverty, she gave all that she had to live on. There's something happening that he is seeing that no one else is seeing. So we've got a group of people that are are opposing him. He has just spoken about the Messiah. This is highly significant. Highly significant. Because when he quotes from Psalm 110, he actually talks about the Messiah coming... And he is going to be of the, the order of the, priest, the Melchizedek priesthood. All these people know that Abraham gave to Melchizedek. He was of a higher order. And the Messiah, consequently, is of a higher order... Then the priesthood and all the things that they're trying to work and and do, and he is just calling them out on it. He's calling them out on the lack of life, because they are they are look the part, but he's calling them out on a heart posture. And he's just been talking about devouring the widow's the widows' houses, and evidently they used to literally deceitfully cheat widows out of their property. It's hidden, but it's not hidden to him. And then we have a widow, (laughs) and he calls her a poor widow. That's not, oh, poor dear. That's needy. She is a needy widow. And she is giving out of her poverty. And the word for poverty is to do with a lack of property and resources. Interesting, isn't it? He's just spoken about devouring widows' houses. What perhaps is done, well, would have been done, completely unseen and hidden, and she could be one who has had her property wrongfully taken from her. Now let's look at her heart. She's a victim, man. Wouldn't you think that she would have every right not to give anything? But she's in something. She's in something that he's trying to display and show through this psalm that I'm going to go back to, that he wants his people to know there's a life for them. And here is this woman who may well have been defrauded of her property. She has two, they call them mites. And, you know, what is of their worth? I don't know. I read somewhere that you needed 48 of these in his day to buy a loaf of bread. Well, two's not going to get you much, is it? And it's sort of oh, it's a bit pitiful. So, what was going on there? Probably, <sniffs> <sniffs> what's that? I don't even know that. Like, it was only a coin that was used in Judea because they were so poor in Judea. So it's like this. What's that gift? You know. So all of the things on the external looked like nothing. What was it even worth doing? And yet Jesus saw something. And he is looking for this heart to release us into something. I remember when I first became a Christian. So I became a Christian when I was 18. I was completely, one day, did not believe there was a God. (laughs) And intellectual pride was the thing. Um, And he smashed it. He completely smashed it and revealed himself to me. So, in that first year, I went from Wellington down to Christchurch and I was a student down there. And I was in um, a border, you know, hostel that's the word a hostel. Everything as far as my meals and tuition, everything was paid for. My parents had sort of sorted all that. And I started to hear, I can't even remember how I heard, but there was something stirred into me that I wanted to give. And it was like, I'm a student. I don't have anything. And and I was pondering it. And, you know, early stages, I, I didn't know much about the family or where to give or anything, but I just wanted to give. And, and I used to... Um, I did have some spare money. In those days, it was like $5.00 about a week, which is a lot of money, and I used to do cafe 101 <laughs> with the spare money, and I'd, you know, kind of have these deeper meaningfuls with people. Um, actually, it wasn't. It was just casual having coffee two or three times a week <laughs> in the university cafe, and it was like, I could give that. And so, and it took me, you know, like I had in my heart, I'd met a fellow that had... Um, had made a really big step to go and go on the anastas the you know the ship that they had in those days with a chef and I thought I really want to save up some money and give it to him because I knew they were going to call into Christchurch well it took me five times I wanted to get hundred dollars so however many it was 50 50 weeks it was a long time of five dollars and I saved and I saved and I saved and I- I tell you what, this joy built up and built up and built up and built up. It wasn't a lack. It was like, this is so cool, this is so cool. I can't wait to give it to him. And then I, I went and I met him and, you know, took me down in the thing and showed me his little tiny cabin thing. And and I gave him this check. And he was he was fairly nonchalant about it. and I thought, oh, it's a bit surprising because it was so exciting for me. <laughs> uh, but I thought, that's cool because... There's joy there, you know, and I had been set free from something. And it was funny, through those years, he would talk to me about possessions, you know. I didn't have much, but it was like if I started holding on, he'd say, let it go. When we went um, flatting, um, (laughs) you'll laugh. Our, Our grocery budget was $10 each. There were three girls in the thing. $10 each per week. And in those days, actually, that was minimal. It really was minimal, um, even though it got a lot more than it would do nowadays. The tastiest thing in our flat was Marmite. (laughs) (laughs) There was no such thing as biscuits. They were luxuries. It was just like basic, basic, basic food. And um, it, it actually rid me of being a fussy eater. You know, it's like, oh... gherkins, (laughs) (laughs) gherkins, <laughs> pickled <laughs> onions, something with flavor. But anyway, um, I remember we had this one guy, and he lived at home, and like, he was a well-fed man. He used to come into our, in our flat, and the first thing he'd do is go to the fridge, and he would eat our leftovers, you know? And I remember sort of like, I was going to do another meal, you know? <laughs> like, How are you, you know? But it was like, things like that, and God said, let it go. Let it go, you know? So, like, that was not so much because I was giving it to him, it was just because he didn't want me held, you know? And he doesn't want us held by stuff. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, um, how did I get onto that? Yes, I'm sure that was something to do with it. Right, so here's our poor widow, okay? So she's from this needy group, but she's not displaying. Um, a victim kind of, she's free, it's like, wow, that is amazing, you know, but that is, it is something that she is very poor, but she's making many rich, think of how many millions of people have been made rich through her act, incredible, eh? She didn't probably even realize that Jesus had noticed, had said anything, didn't know, but I bet she knows now. I'm really keen to meet this lady. As I was praying, I asked the Lord, what about the widow? And these were the words he said to me, she's mine, I'm her husband, and she's holding nothing back from me. I know her, and I see her innermost parts, she's opened herself up to me. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it this this um there's so much just in the word the poor widow has put in she's put in she didn't think about it and then cool off the idea after a week and then decide no actually something else has happened. And I need that now she actually did it you know and there's there's a there 's an activation of of the doing with the faith that releases us. We are to be a people where those two things are not separated you know and it 's interesting when you hear um Paul, he writes to the Corinthians and they promised something to the church in Jerusalem and then they didn't follow up. They kind of cooled off the idea, it appears. And he had some interesting things to say about that. And um, I'm just going to flick it over there. Sorry, today's a, a, you know, we might go places. That's all right. Um, so we're looking at, I'll come back to here, but we're looking at 2nd... Corinthians um, 8. It's an amazing passage here. Because we've got a demonstration happening in a people. And um, so 2 to 4. So I'll start at 1. So he's, he's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So this is this is what they were known for. They're the I think it's Philippi, Thessalonica, Ephesians. Interesting, the other things we know about those churches from the books. Hey, they received the word as the word of God, repentance left behind the idols. This is another outworking of of their their life that they've come into. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations." That sounds like the life of Christ, doesn't it? He exceeds our expectations, and when he comes into us, he does such in us that it overflows in in an overflowing, abundant manner. That is the very aspect of it that makes you know that is weird, man that's got to be God that can't be that can't be just like. Rustling it up somehow. Do you see what I'm saying? So the actual life in us, he he, overflows and it comes out in an abundance um, in every aspect. And giving is one of those things. So you know, it's really it is really really interesting how all these things link up because we've seen a little boy who gave everything. We don't know why he gave everything, but we see a widow who gave everything. We see a woman who broke the whole jar and poured the whole jar of of anointing beautiful perfume all over Jesus. There's something about this all position that is so significant. God gave his all. He did not spare even his son, you know, there is a seed because everything comes from God, goes back to God. There is a seed, this incorruptible abundance of, of life that he puts in us and he wants it to flourish and like the mustard seed, it's going to come up. That mustard tree fills everything It's not just a little something down here and the rest of our life is here. When you look at the parable of the seed, there's things that can strangle and that's what he wants us free from so that actually his seed can come in and produce the harvest of fruit that it's designed to. And Jesus, I think, as he was sitting there and he looked up, And he watched this going on, he recognised that's my seed. That's my DNA. That's it. She's mine. With the others, he didn't see that. Otherwise, he would have said, but that, that, there's something on that. And this is what he, he wants to bring us into the fullness of what this means, you know? It's very, very powerful. (laughs) <laughs> she had a faith didn't she i i just love the fact that these people there were three groups of people that that he was constantly talking about caring for so the widows the fatherless and the foreigners constantly right through the word saying be looking out for the fathers, the widows, and and the foreigners. And yet here he is, he's showing the people that he was talking to, that should have been caring for that, that she is in something that they think they're going to get their life from all this stuff, you know, tithing to the last little... And then exacting it, and, and everything's very legal, and, and <clears throat> we've got it down. And she's quietly going in there. She doesn't need an audience. There's, there's no need for anyone to say, Wow, look at what you gave. Because there's a heart. She's, she's connected with the Father. And it's a capacity that is so beyond reason and so beyond circumstance. And this is the th- this is the thing that he wants to set us free from being um, taken out by circumstances. You know, and it the the ability when he shows you stuff and he takes you through, and usually when it's you know, you've not done this before, and it's like, mm, is there going to be anything down there? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's scary at first, but then what it does, it removes the fear of the future. It removes the fear of not having enough because no matter what happens, he supplies. And when I let go, I'm not having to count every penny and make sure that it's this, this and this, because I'm living outside of that. Now, I'm not saying there's not room for good accounting and budgets and all the rest of it, but it's outside of that that we actually live and we make our decisions. Our heart position is, is not afraid of anything because love has come and love doesn't have any lack He doesn't have any lack. It's so good. It is so, it's so, such a relief for me because I used to live under the fear of lack all the time, you know? But he wants us set free from, I had fear of getting worn out, of being overcommitted. You know, and I used to rearrange all the time. If I was getting stressed out or whatever, I've got to rearrange my life and cut this and cut this and cut this. And it's now like that seems so foreign because there's liberty in him to hear and to obey. It's not to do with have can I can I juggle this many plates, or is it maybe there's just one too many plates. You know, it's just so beyond, and he gives you a capacity that is not um, understandable. Just because you're bold enough to believe him, you know, um, and I think that's that's the thing. You know, Greg said, "Would we dare believe? Would we dare believe or do?" It's so much fun. It really is. <laughs> There's confidence, isn't there? Because you're not now double-taking at things that come at you. There's a confidence because you, you have tasted and seen of, of someone who is in you and... His life supersedes all the stuff that would take you out and take your confidence Confidence to give. The other thing that I really notice about her is that there's nothing, there's no even, like I'm surmising these things, but how can you not when she's given everything she's got to live on? She hasn't asked the question, what about me? She hasn't even asked it. She just trusts, she knows. He knows, he loves, and you will be bountifully supplied. Otherwise she wouldn't have given it, because she would have thought, I've got to have something. It doesn't, that becomes this life that the, the life I now live, I live by faith, In the one, because it's no longer I that live. It's not a what about me all the time, and what can I fit in, and what can I spare, and what can I... It's, It's like you. I'm yours. It's simple. It's very simple. I'm not my own anymore. I'm his possession. We're his possession. We've been bought, actually. He's purchased us. Isn't that amazing? He's actually purchased us but we live like we, we own ourselves, you know, and to our detriment because we then are living out of a, a sense of bondage and because we're not designed to live like that. We're designed to live in oneness with him and have him as a supplier, him as our resource. It's so good. <laughs> Let's turn to... Um, Second Corinthians six. So this is another, another one that describes the same sort of things that um, are going on here. So verses nine and ten. So he's given a whole long list of, of things that, are, I guess, his experience, his life. as as a minister of the gospel, as a believer, as one that carries the life of God in him. Um, And I just just think this is amazing. So known yet regarded as unknown. Interesting. The widow (laughs) regarded as unknown. No one knows here. Scribes and the Pharisees probably were like, whatever. What is that? Who knows here, though? Who knows here? And this is the same for us. It's not a matter of reputation. It's not a matter of um, recognition. It's nothing to do with that. He knows us. And the safety and the life that's within that, is, it makes the other irrelevant, whether we're known or not. Dying and yet we live on. (laughs) Beaten and yet not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's a joy. There's joy in that can't be moved, can't be rocked, can't be taken out. She's lost her husband. She's probably lost her property. She has nothing that she can turn around and sell. But she still gives. What gives you the capacity to do that is a joy that is beyond. Because you see, her, why is she coming to the temple? That's her source. God is her source, her resource. So he is her joy on the inside. And this is, this is something that Paul is describing. So they're sorrowful. That doesn't mean that they're going around under the weight of um, an earthly sorrow. This, the sorrow that I sense more and more these days is sorrow that people aren't coming into his life. And yet, and yet, there's such a joy and such a hope and such a always believing for Because I know that it's there. It's right there, and we're still alive, and he's still speaking, and there's always a chance to turn. So there's a rejoicing, a rejoicing in all that he is for us and a rejoicing in all that he is for each other and this calling to that place of... And and this, as as I was praying, you know, what is it you want for your people. Again, he was saying, I want them to come into my life. I want them to let go of the things that don't give life and to know me, to know my ways, to come into the fullness of what it is that I have, but it does require letting go, you know? So there's a rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. So Paul experienced this. Yet making many rich. So the widow was poor, but I think I have been made rich by her example. And there are many that have. And no matter where we are and how much physically we are able to give, it's not so much about the mount, really, is it? We've seen this. I mean, Paul said, I've learned to be content with very little and with heaps. Both of them need to be, he needs to teach us what that looks like. It doesn't mean that a lot is really bad, and a little is really bad, or either vice, it's nothing to do that, it's about knowing him. It's about knowing him and letting him be the Lord, so that he possesses everything. So if we have much, it's not that we are taking it into ourselves. That's how we're going to get into that tripping back and pulling away from him, that shrinking back, that those other weird things that entangle us. And then we're trying to get free. <laughs> and he's saying, just let go, let go. It's mine, you know. It's, it's very powerful stuff, eh? And this having... Nothing and yet possessing everything. <laughs> Having nothing and yet possessing everything. Do we realize that we possess everything? I'm starting to understand how much I possess. It is so exciting. Like it is. The things of the kingdom are so much bigger than we can know until he reveals. We can't. We can can know about it sort of up there, but to actually have it in us, (laughs) it's incredible to possess everything because I I am actually his child. My dad, he not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Man, he owns the universe. You know, there is no lack in my father. He, he doesn't know lack. He is, he is all abundant all the time. He is all loving. So everything that he does, even when he's, he's really pushing on something and saying, let it go, or he's, he's pointing out that that is false, and this is the truth. It's all out of love because he wants me to come into life. Every single time, without an exception. There is never, ever anything that my father does that is not out of love. Because he's got me in the, as an apple in his eye. You know? He's got us. He is after his bride. And he is is wanting her to come into the fullness of who she is so that she will live from that and and come into what that looks like in our life together. So it comes into all these everyday things in our own personal lives, but especially together. So our love starts to show itself to each other in different ways now. So we're not isolated in little silos that have our own little worlds and just you know, you get a little bit of me on Sunday it's all it's all there's one last little note too, sorry I, I won't speak because I am going to take you back to Psalm 110 but um, James 2 18, can we have a quick look at that here's the all It. It's, this blows you away. We've, we've heard it, and I, I've always struggled a bit with this, I've got to say. Because I've gone, oh, maybe I've got this, and I haven't got this. And so, <clears throat> so, he's talking about faith and works, right? So, so um, number, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Wrong. Now I, now it goes wrong in me. It's like, what, what is that? That is a nothing. Why is that even in there? Because it's a nothing, and he's about to tell you it's a nothing. <laughs> show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Ah, here we've got the key. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> so it was hidden in the little words after. It wasn't about the other thing. You believe there is one God? In God, He is one. There is no such thing as two bits of God. So there is no such thing as faith and works. God does not say and not do. So if we live in a way that we think those two things are different, we are deceived. We're in a not-believing-God-is-one position. And that is what dupes us out of life. Because we say we believe, but we don't do what that thing is now pushing at us. And so it becomes head knowledge. And now I know all about giving, but I'm not giving that can't be, it can't be a real word. It can't be him because it doesn't do that. God never does that. So what What also absolutely knocked me flat on this one, even the demons believe that and shudder. And it was like, why do the demons shudder at that? Because if we get it, we are dead. Because that's the real position. That's the real posture. That's the bride. That's the one that is displaying the manifold wisdom of God in the earth. That's why they shudder. Because if we know that God is one, and there is never faith without works, there is never a belief of some work, but of, of some word, I should say, but it's not actually coming out in an action It's got to be one. It's got to be one. So the activation of the giving is part of this. It's just another part of it. It's the same as giving and understanding that we are not our own. And so our time is not our own. He's going to organize it. We don't have to flap about it and think, oh, I'm gonna get so stressed now because everybody's asking. No, he will order your steps. But the the bottom line is my time is not my own, it's his. I belong to him. So everything about me belongs to him. My possessions belong to him. They're not my possessions. you see that it's an all thing? It's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's a one position of life. And if things are freaking you out, don't fear, they've freaked me out before. They really did. And it was like, I was trying to work this out, but what does that mean? And what do I have to give? And what do I do? Just talk to him about it. Because he will bring revelation to you about what he is speaking to you now he might there might be something that you are getting that mm about that you are holding on to and that you're not releasing and it's that first step it's scary first time but once you realize that he is all for you it's not scary think about who he is He doesn't ever take us to a place to drown us. Ever. It's never to be to, to be to our detriment. And the thing is, he just wants to stir in us. What is it? What is it that's in your hand? The widow had two coins. That was all that she had, but it was in her hand. The little boy had loaves and fishes. That was in his hand. He's not asking us to give what's not in our hand. You know, I had $5 a week, coffee money. It was in my hand. That was what he spoke to me about. So just to ask him. It, it's it's not about judging and saying it's this or it's that. It's about this flow of, of allowing him access, I guess. Yeah. Let's finish with Psalm 110. This was very cool. So... Just before you go to Psalm 110, and I'll follow you in a minute, I'm going to go back to Luke 20, just before that. So he's said, Why is it that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You can be sure as eggs that they knew that psalm. So Jesus is instigating something. How does Jesus build the church? The revelation of Christ. What's the revelation of Christ coming here? Who is he? So Jesus is standing with these people that are saying, what authority do you have to turn over the tables? Who is he? And he's asking them, who am I? A lot of it comes down to who is he, doesn't it? It comes down to that who is he to me. So here's Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. I really don't like this translation. Right. Yep, that's right, I've got it there. So the next verse, Terry. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. So he is declaring a different reality. He's saying, we've had all these discussions and I'm trying to show you what the kingdom is like. It's different from what you think it is. And I'm here as the king of a kingdom. And I am the one that was declared in Psalm 110. My father has given me this authority. Empower. He's put me there. I've put myself there. He's put me there. And my people, my people, they are going to have something about them that is quite significant. They are going to freely offer themselves. So volunteer freely, it's talking about like a free will offering of their lives so again it's this one thing we become we are proving who he is because of the way we live because there is a freedom to be able to do that he set us free from ourselves he set us free from all these things that would have kept us in this very bound up earthly existence, where it's all about these other things, you know, making enough money to buy a house, to do this, to do this, to do that. He set us free from that because he is of a different kingdom and we are of a different kingdom. And earth is just a temporary little dwelling place to teach us how to rule and reign. <laughs> yeah, because we actually aren't based here. We are citizens of of a different kingdom. And so this people will volunteer freely. And that means that all of life, and it means everything. So, um, yeah, boogie on down. It's good, isn't it? It's really good news. This is good news from the beginning to the end. Even though it sounds like it's like scary, embrace the fear. Don't shrink back, we are not of those that shrink back. You know, we press in, and that is part of our process of being made ready, is that we don't shrink back away from positions of fear, that we go into them, and that is also a position of vulnerability, because like God, this freaks me out big time, but I'm putting my whole trust in you, as I step into what it is that you have for me. Amen. So I hope you get inspired by this lovely, amazing lady, and we will meet her one day. Amen. Thanks, guys.